And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the TIFO Football Podcast. I'm Joe Devine and I'm now joined in the studio by Alex Stewart. Hello. Hello, how are you? I rehearsed saying hello, so I'm I'm feeling positive. Well done, you. Thank you. We're also joined across the continent. Ah, that's right. Guten Tag, Herr Stafford Bloor. Guten Tag, Herr Devine. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. I would expect you're happier than me, though. Sure am. I've had a good morning, a good weekend. No, well, I, I've had half of a good weekend. Sure. A good personal weekend, bad football weekend. But Right. But interesting football morning in that uh, Nuno yes. Espirito Santo has been relieved of the anguish that was managing Spurs. And, uh, and if the reports are to be believed, potentially replaced by Antonio Conte, who could know as we speak uh, I believe Sky Sports are reporting he's on his way to London for an 18-month contract. We wouldn't know, though. I don't know. What I'm saying is we're recording this before we know, and when people are listening, it's possible that they will know, or they still won't know. But that's the state of affairs. Anyway, you know what isn't an uncertainty, Seb? Tell me. It's TIFO merch. That's right. It's a certainty in that it's real. And it exists. And you can purchase it from shop.tifofootball.com. Now, look, at, for the people viewing this podcast, which incidentally you can do on the Tifo IRL YouTube channel, you can see Alex here is, uh, is uh, modelling the merch very poorly by putting his arms in front of the product. Uh, there you go. That's lovely, isn't it? Uh, he's wearing a nice uh, Zidane versus Bayer Leverkusen T-shirt. That goal. That goal. But also you can get a mug to drink out of or other clothes to wear on your body. Uh, lovely ones with the TIFO logo on them. A blackout one. Oh, that one's nice, isn't it? Some yellow ones. Yeah, I like that one too. Um, And, uh, you know, there you go. So head over to shop.tifofootball.com and get yourself some merch because I can't promise you'll look good in it, but I can promise that it will increase your IQ by about uh, 50 or 60. At least. That is a fact, and the Advertising Standards Agency have okayed us to say that Mm -hmm. on this podcast. 100%. Also, it will make you ripped. (laughs) So It's already working on me. That's true. Yeah. Before today, Alex was a real hog of a man. Mm -hmm. Flabby. Uh, You know, he looked like me. And now, because I'm not wearing the merch, Mm. you can see... You've reversed I'm undesirable to uh, my sexual preference. Yeah. But Alex... You could use my stomach as a xylophone. Yeah. You could use his stomach as a xylophone. He's tighter, hotter, cleaner, and smarter. Mm -hmm. And so, again, everyone just likes him more than they did before. It's a strange effect. Yeah. When I take it off, though, it goes right back to zero. Shop.tfofootball.com. Don't ever take it off. But also... The Athletic. <laughs> now, if you want to be smarter and look haughty, <laughs> I don't. I don't think people aspire to looking haughty. By the way, no, I know that's the wrong word. Yeah, seriously though, all the things I said before about Tifo merch, doubly as true about the Athletic. If you visit theathletic.com forward slash Tifo, you'll find that you can get a 30-day free trial to avail yourselves of all the interesting things that are being written on the Athletic at the moment. I can tell you what, it's really worth it, particularly at a time like now when all the things in football are happening all at once. It's good to have a team of nearly four or 500 journalists to cover all of that. So there we go. That's theathletic.com forward slash TIFO. Hit it up today after you've bought the TIFO merch. That's uh, the intro done, isn't it? What else are we going to talk about, Alex, there? We've got Spurs. What what else we got on the list? Uh, We've got some Arsenal and Leicester. Mm. We've maybe got a little bit of Liverpool and Brighton. Oh, indeed. I watched Fiorentina Spezia. No one's going to care about that. No, no one's going to care about that. I watched it anyway. Uh, Seb says Norwich Leeds as well, too. We've got Man City Crypal. Sure. So we'll uh, perhaps be uh, perhaps be uh, finding ourselves rooting around the bushes of those topics uh, after I leave you in the warm hands and the cool embrace of producer Adonis, who's in the room today.
to begin than with Norwich Leeds, not there, with uh, Spurs. Because Seb, of course, uh, Nuno Espirito Santo sacked this morning um, and his coaching stuff, I think. And, uh, you know, obviously they lost the game over the weekend to Manchester United, 3-0. Um, that seemed difficult, but they did it. Uh, and, of course, the most interesting thing for me about this game, watching Match of the Day last night before um, before the, the news of his sacking came out, was that he, uh, you know, appears to obviously lost the game, but also appears to have lost the fans fairly significantly. There were um, many fans uh, behind him when he was uh, substituting on uh, Bergwijn for, uh, for Mora, a chance you could make out in the background of you don't know what you're doing. And it all seemed a little bit toxic. It felt like a kind of, uh, felt like a lot of people had been holding a few things in for a while. And that was the last straw. And it's not really about him. I think that's, well, hopefully that's obvious to most people. This is discontent that's been bubbling away at Tottenham for a couple of years. It's not really just relating to the football. It's relating to how the club have conducted themselves through furlough and through Super League and... Um, through big loans from the government and it's added up to this general feeling of dissatisfaction and something ruptured something ruptured on Saturday night and it's sad because Nuno I don't think he was ever the right person to be there I think everybody knew including him himself that he was sort of fifth or sixth choice and he was kind of put in position shoved to centre stage to um, feel the force of the fans fury which is to absorb the, bo- the body blows to take the punches right and um he seems like a nice chap. Hey, what well, one thing I want to bring up because I, I, as I get older, this occurs to me more and more. Um, goodness, where's this going? Um, when you see a manager under pressure at the end of their time, at the end of their tenure, when it's that hostile, goodness me, is it uncomfortable to, to watch? Yes. Um, to see a man like who knows that the axe is about to swing and he knows he's about to lose his job, it's not a nice. You can hear thousands of people shouting. Shouting at him, yeah, yeah this, it's this, not this, pleasant. This is why it's the right decision. Is because it is early, but it's not working, and also it feels like the right thing to do on the basis that it's only going to get more hostile and more personal and more uncomfortable for everybody. And obviously, uh, those are hardly the conditions within which to breed a successful football team. So, yeah. thank God it's over because felt very unhappy for everybody. I think. Well, well, sixteen games was all he he, he had, Alex, to show what he could do. Uh, what is it that you think went wrong in the primary? I think it's. It's hard to say. I mean, he obviously the season started quite promisingly, mm-hmm. um, even though the team wasn't necessarily really performing that well. But they were but, top in September, weren't they? Right, and manager of the month for August and three one nil wins, I think it was. Um, but there is just a creative disconnect between midfield and the strikers. Yeah. Uh, Harry Kane obviously is not performing particularly well at the moment. Tottenham aren't getting off enough shots. They're getting the ball well into the final third, but not into the penalty area. And I think Nuno increasingly became quite rigid and conservative in his selections. He tried quite an expansive midfield against Arsenal. That didn't Mm -hmm. work. Uh, And it became a kind of safety first thing. And of course, Tottenham do have players who can create interesting things and Dombele particularly. Um, But a midfield of Skip and Hoiberg against a Man United team that looked on the verge of imploding is such a negative move sure. that it does you make felt, sense. Uh, Man United were there, were not necessarily there for the taking, and obviously they changed a lot ahead of the game. We'll come to talk about them a little bit later. But um, given what happened to them last weekend, a little bit of pressure might have opened the tin. Yeah, a huge amount of pressure. And, and yet Spurs seemed content to play like little lateral passes yeah. and circulate the ball to a degree, but not really look to penetrate. And when you've got someone like Sung Hyun Min, who is a really dynamic runner, you know, behind the defensive line, you've got someone like Kane who can drop off and play those passes through. It felt like... Spurs could have sought to exploit United's defensive indecision. They were playing a system they hadn't played in like 50 games or something. And instead, Spurs were just bereft of attacking intent. Yeah. Hey, Seb, do you think such a situation has occurred before where a manager has uh, collected a Premier League Manager of the Month award, probably at the beginning of September, and then two months later has been sacked from his job? Yes, but almost certainly, Joe, because the... uh the, the manager of the month award is, is a famous poison chalice. Um, particularly being the season, if you think about kind of some of the things that, excuse me, my very, very young kitten is digging its claws into all kinds of things. Hang on. Sure. Show us the cat. Here's Luca. Here's Luca. Luca, yep. Luca the cat. His brother Charlie mm-hmm. is downstairs. They're, not, they're friends rather than brothers. 
Sure. We adopted them over the weekend, and they are. This right. is a very new experience. Webcams, and yes, he's going. I doesn't didn't like you at all. Sure, enough of your self indulgence. You're also you're saying. very on this screen. You're very large and loomy and scary. I mean, you're That's a scary man screen. in real try, life. Try being in the studio sure. with him. Exactly. Well, quite. Well, quite. Now I'm um, going to loom over you until you carry on talking. Yeah, because it, how often have we seen, for instance, um, a newly promoted coach come into the league, start really well, but then have a little bit of a fall to earth, and then pay for it with a sort of a a knee-jerk sacking from, mm. from his club. So mm. it does happen. And I think also if you'd, if you'd watch those first few Tottenham games and the kind of the the way in which they were won, few shots, uh, having to absorb a lot of pressure, playing largely on the counter-attack and winning with fairly low XG, I think most people, and I think if you go back, we can probably find us saying many of those things that you'd worry about what Tottenham are going to be in the uh, after the international break, after that first international break and after that Manager of the Month award. Okay, well, uh, as we said in the intro, at, at the time of recording, Sky Sports are reporting that, that Conte is, is uh, has accepted the uh, the job that has been offered to him. There's an eighteen month contract. Uh, apparently, that's it. As a rumor doing the rounds, who could know? Um, but also, you know, it, it, Seb's left his chair, and that's thrown me a little bit. He's just walked <laughs> He's off. He's just wandered away. <laughs> He's just walked off. Yeah, I was going to direct that question at him. Okay, but I guess I'll bring it to you now because I'm here. Because you're actually here. Yeah. Which seems like the minimum requirement for doing a TFO <laughs> podcast. Just actually being here again. Yeah. Still not back. I'm not texting either. That makes a change. No, that's true. That's nice. Yeah. It sounds like Conte is going to Spurs is what I'm saying, Alex. Yes. Which it, I suppose, uh, you know, sad for Nuno, fairly exciting for Spurs fans. I think that Conte brings a couple of things. Obviously, there is luggage. a... Uh, his, his actual luggage. Well, there's an interest... Okay. Family? You see, I, I took luggage and went with baggage. And then, so there's a Horncastle piece mm. about uh, what he would bring to Manchester United because that's how fast things move in football. Yes. Um, and one of the points he makes is that even when he's had uh, a couple of issues with particular players, he's never lost a dressing room. No. And this Spurs dressing room feels like it's massively in need of somebody to come in, harmonise things and uh, instill... Sure. Uh, oh, he's back and now he interrupts. He comes back and advocates violence. Unbelievable. Off the, off the, off the um, <laughs> and, and so I think that combined with the kind of serial winner mentality, that, you know, that's a Spurs dressing room that has, on the one hand, gone through the Harry Kane saga in the summer, which yeah. again, I'm sure we'll talk about in a minute. Secondly, knows that the person in charge of them is fifth or sixth choice. Mm-hmm. To then go from that to somebody who is a serial winner, who has an incredible reputation within the game, who's going to come in and throw things about. Who sounded like the first choice in the summer. Who sounded very much like the first choice in the summer. That That's going to really, like, Put I the suppose, cat among the energize, one would hope, sure. that, that Spurs dressing room. Secondly, also, tactically, he's really good. Mm-hmm. You know, he's won the Premier League. He's won Serie A. Mm. He... He sets his teams up in a discernible way yeah. that people can buy into quite quickly. It Frankly, he's too good for Spurs. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't want to say that. That sounds mean. But yes, no, that also, was just a little joke. He is too good for Spurs. Um, but he, the, you know, the, the Spurs squad, um, it looks like it can work even in the short term before he makes acquisitions. And I'm sure that there will have been significant discussion around what was reportedly the uh, stalling point last time around in terms of uh, a proposed budget for player acquisition. Mm. Like, even before he comes in and buys better players, he can do stuff with that Spurs squad, for yes. sure. No, that's true. Uh, presumably, uh, Seb, you would imagine that the uh, the Spurs contingent would be uh, rather excited if this is to happen. I mean, the worst case scenario, of course, as we discuss here, is that it's all fallen apart by the end of the day and we, we chop this whole section out. Yeah, that would be a shame. Um, I think... Well, according to what I've read, uh, a few of the Spurs uh, players found it very, very disheartening over the summer when Daniel Levy kind of cycled through 30 different managers and they all seemed to, or reported to have rejected the opportunity to work at the club. Sure. Um, And I think that's kind of, that's kind of part of Nino being sold a bill of goods in the sense that you come in, you have no authority um, because everybody knows that you're you weren't the substitute teacher. Exactly that. And it's kind of, you're not even a substitute teacher. It's It's the guy that, covers for the substitute teacher when the substitute teacher can't really sure. make it in. That would um, also be a substitute teacher, though. Yeah, yeah but I feel that's not that an adequate true. description of the kind of the, the haplessness the, of the situation. The substitute teacher's pet lizard. Yeah. Oh, Luca, for fuck's sake. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> 
I saw it. I'll tell you what, Seb. Next time you make a domestic decision such as uh, you know you. getting some cats, I really would like you to consult the T4. And he's gone. And he's gone <laughs> he's again. He's gone again. He's gone again. I bought a sofa recently. Did you? Yeah. Does not- that prevent you from doing podcasts? No. You can keep it. Thank you. Oh, Romero looks good. Let's talk about Romero. I wrote that down to say, I, okay. thought, I thought even in the 3-0 defeat, he looks good over yeah. there. I like him. Yes, there was that very early, pretty thumping challenge on Ronaldo that, mm. that amused me. Sure. Um, we know, I think what's interesting about Romero is that he came from uh, a very good Atalanta defence, but an Atalanta defence that functioned in quite a specific way. Mm-hmm. So probably the only team other than Leeds in Europe's top five leagues to employ a sort of very aggressive man-marking, man-orientated press yeah. hybrid. Yeah. Um, that kind of highly systemized player is going to find it difficult to adapt. But because of the way he played, it does allow him the opportunity to be aggressive, to step out, yeah. to uh, attack the ball as it's coming towards players. And I think the inner back, it, it works better in a back three because you've got that cover in behind. But in a back two, that meant that perhaps the one area of the pitch where Spurs could look to be quite assertive was in that back line. I thought yeah. Dyer kind of tucked in and covered quite well behind him too. Tell you what, you would have enjoyed watching Norwich Leeds because Ozan Kabak played basically as a centre forward the entire game. <laughs> it was very funny. Um, uh, but no, I think, you know, that this is the sort of thing where I say like, Conte can come in and do stuff with this, but like any manager could could come yeah. in and do something with this Spurs squad, and I, and I agree with Seb entirely. Yeah. It's not a bad team. The circumstances in which Nuno took the job made it almost impossible for him to generate any kind of goodwill or authority, and so uh, a manager, be it Conte, be it someone else, coming in with a clean slate. It, we start again. There is there is a spine to that team. Mm-hmm. Where, you know, Lloris is playing pretty well at the moment. Romero is a centre back. Hoiberg is a midfielder, and Dombele is a midfielder, and then Kane and Sung ahead. Like there is stuff you can do with that team. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay. Hey Seb, welcome back to today's episode of <laughs> Old Man Chases Small Cats. Yeah, Cat have you got plural. a door? Have you heard of a door? Yes. Yeah, so you mistake, put them on the other side of it and close nah, that. The mistake I and made then, is there are two of them, and I put one inside, and his crying became so unbearable that I had to let him out, with a strict understanding that he wouldn't try and chew the cables from my laptop, sure. and yeah. ignore me. He, yeah, he well, can't listen. Signing Cats a contract are really with a kitten. easy to negotiate with, sure, right? Exactly. Indeed. Well, Seb, listen, I've lost my thread because of your inability to do your job properly. So I'd like you to pick it up and just talk about uh, what's happening. So I don't think it's unfair to say that the problems at Tottenham go beyond the manager and who the manager is. Deep. Pretty deep, pretty deep. It's rotting from the head. But I, I, and Alex has touched on this. There, there are good players there and there is a there is a competent first 11 at least. It's just that the attitude of some of the players... And beyond all the excuses about, well, whether Nino was the sort of the sixth place manager, fifth place manager, whether they had any respect or whatever, there's a there's something very disenchanted about the kind of the 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 atmosphere within the squad and something very there's no there's not really any sense of meritocracy. These aren't this isn't a group of players all battling each other for a place in the first team. It's a well, Nuno created a kind of strict division between the Premier League side and the conference league team. And some of those chickens have come home to roost because what you have is a group who feel entirely secure in their places, who aren't under threat whatsoever, and another separate group who feel their pathway to the first eleven is blocked entirely. And so the the the, the sum of those issues is a apathy is probably too strong a word, um, but a kind of a laissez-faire, um, whatever will be, it's okay to lose games attitude, which is the antithesis of what Tottenham were during the Pochettino era. Whatever Pochettino may or may not have won, um, what you saw was a committed team and what you saw were a group of players that were incredibly close, were incredibly competitive, almost to a fault at times. Think of the the game at Sanford Bridge um, where sort of Tottenham had a kind of either we'll beat you or we'll win you, we'll we'll beat you in a fight kind of mentality. Uh Um, And that's all been eroded and lost. And I think... um, Conte isn't Pochettino, not the same kind of manager at all, but I kind of like, well, at least I feel a little bit of the confrontation he brings will be good for some of these players. If for no better reason, then they'll just decide to leave because I think that's what's needed. A little bit of bloodletting at Spurs would not be an issue. And even 
even it's not just players that are sort of holdovers from the Pochettino era who are still loyal to him and his ideas, but players who've turned up at Tottenham, found it quite a nice place to be employed, good contract, it's okay not to win, it's not as harsh an environment as, say, Chelsea or Manchester City or even Manchester United, don't get as much criticism. I think that needs to change, and Nuno didn't have the authority to ever do that. Conte certainly does, um, and Conte is not shy. And there's actually, if you can find it, there's a really good quote about, he's asked about disenchanted players or players who don't buy in immediately to, to what he wants to do, and he says something along the lines of, yeah, I just prefer to kill them. Like, it, it's a little bit... <laughs> I think the other thing with Conte is that he is able to do stuff with players who are less talented but more willing. For sure. And so if there are players who are quote-unquote good at Spurs but don't buy into this, Conte knows that he can take someone who's much more workmanlike and actually forge them into something that's that's worth doing. So that's, that's very encouraging for Spurs. Spurs fans or whoever else he manages in the future. <laughs> yeah, for sure. This is the this is the Victor Moses situation where you have a good but not spectacular career, but you show yourself to be willing enough and pliable enough to be moulded into something, and then you mm. you kind of you become part of a story. And I feel like there are a few players at Spurs who could be that, but there are a few kind of anti Victor Moses too who just need to be um, not chopped out. It's too harsh, but uh, challenged. I think is the fairest way of putting it. Yeah. Can I make an unoriginal observation to you, Seb? Love to. Uh, yeah. That would be that uh, the, the All or Nothing uh, documentary series about Spurs, the behind-the-scenes TV show, which followed the team and the manager and the players, and, of course, Daniel Levy, that wasn't good for Daniel Levy. Now, I know we've said this before, but the, what I'm finding is uh, every time I, I read the news about Spurs or something uh, goes wrong there, now I, I, had, I had a face to a name before, but now I have a personality to a face, if that makes sense. And every time I see a producer Adonis there dropping things in the background, making a lot of noise. Uh, now, whenever something something happens, I can I just imagine Daniel Levy in one of those rooms that he was in 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 their in their stadium, and the way he sits down next to Mourinho, and it's bad for the perception of of him. Prior prior to this, I whatever I thought about the decision he'd made. I, I thought that I knew him to be an extremely capable, yeah. stern businessman yeah. uh, who, whether it, if, even if it seemed that the, the, the decision or the choice that he'd made at the time was wrong, he would later be proved to be, uh, to be sensible or correct. Now, in my head, I imagine the Daniel Levy from All or Nothing. And it, uh, I'm not a Spurs fan, but it doesn't fill me with confidence in the way that it did before. Hey, it was a, I had a similar experience, really. I think the, the most damaging line in that documentary was when He's being interviewed just after he's appointed Mourinho and he's talking about Mourinho standing in the game. And he says something along the lines of, oh, there are two world-class managers working in football today. One of them is working in Manchester, meaning Pep Guardiola, and the other one now manages Tottenham. You thought, right, so you don't rate Jurgen Klopp. Yeah. And you just think you are, you have a... Or Pochettino who just left. (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, I didn't even make that connection, but absolutely. And you just think you don't know as much as you need to about football if you're to make these kind of decisions and that's not meant to be preachy or um high-hatted it's just the reality of it it's a very antiquated perception of football and it it speaks to someone that doesn't pay nearly enough attention to what the game has been um over the past few years and you have these terrible cringy moments too where he's he's kind of it's like one of those um made in chelsea or the only way is essex moments where you have like He's just strolling down the corridor and he comes to Jose's office and sits on the table and be like, you know, oh, hi, he's setting in a show. And it's just, yeah. um, it's, it described fairly or unfairly, I don't know. But to me, it was a, it was somebody who was just leaning into a character a little bit too much. Someone who, who was enjoying himself a bit more than he probably should have done. And I, it didn't make me feel very good about Daniel Levy. And I, I think, to be honest, and this is not necessarily his fault. Because Daniel Levy in his position, we should say. Yeah. Because, you know, someone enjoying being on a television show. That's hey, fine. I That's like fine. That. But, but then, you know, I'm not the chairman of Jobber. Yeah, okay. With, with the kind of the caveats about having a kind of corporate responsibility in that. Sure, but, sure, sure. Um, I also think that, um, and this isn't necessarily his fault, I think the cult of Daniel Levy has run away with itself. Um, and this is a, to me, I think it's a creation of like Sky Sports' uh, Transfer Deadline Day coverage. Um, it's just a byproduct of that where you get this guy that once or twice did deals very, very late and managed to, you know, uh, pull a Rafa van der Vaart out of the fire at the last minute. And so it, sure. kind of, it lends itself to an aura which isn't necessarily reflective of what he's done and his body of work. Um, yeah, yeah. And that's not his fault, but it's... Um, 
it certainly was to the detriment of his credibility. Yeah, it's made it's made it's had an impact. Yeah, hey, for yeah. sure. Yeah. Hey, Alex. One other thing that I wanted to ask you about was, um, I think without doubt, it's uh, likely that uh, Harry Kane's umming and ahhing about what to do over the summer and you know decision. I think it sounds like he wanted to leave the club will have had an impact on the team. He's obviously their best player. He's their leader. He's the kind of star of Tottenham. Um, it's only been 16 games back, you know, so far, at least under Nuno. And I would have thought that group of players would have been fairly seismically impacted by him not wanting to be there anymore. Is Conte, do you think, if he is to take the job, the kind of manager who can, you know, settle some of those chickens? It's really hard to know in terms of whether assurances were given about, you know, potentially being able to move next summer like mm. give us one more year that kind of stuff yeah that there, there will have been conversations that that pre-exist any new manager coming in i think what is possible is that conte has a sufficient standing within the game to be able to impose a certain kind of like let's be honest all that stuff we said about conte disposing of players literally or metaphorically who he doesn't feel buy into what he does yeah Kane is probably the one exception to that. Sure. Um, and so... Maybe I, Son. Yeah, but Son's going to buy into it 100%. Yeah. Because he's awesome. Yeah. Um, professional. Yeah. It, a, he's extremely professional. B, he will really suit the way that Conte wants to play. Mm. So he's, you know, he's Exciting. a flight. Yeah, exactly. Fingers crossed it happens now after all this long conversation we've had. Um, yes, but... It's going to be know, a very I, short I think, podcast if it doesn't, isn't it? <laughs> I, I, think, I think Conte can... can I, look, I... I personally don't think that Harry Kane's issue is that he doesn't want to play and so he's loping around the pitch. Sure. Um, and I also don't think that the problem is that the other players are looking at him and going, like, I think he's... It's a little psychological Yeah, maybe issue, though, to a degree. Like, I think he's knackered. I think he's being asked to do too much. I think he's been tired for five years. Yeah, I think he probably has. I think we've, you know, the, the, the amount of emphasis that's been put on his ability to carry both... Tottenham Hotspur and England yeah. as a player is just too much yeah. and he doesn't get rested he's They've got the kind of never he's got, got a, a bit of the Wayne Rooney's about him hasn't he yeah exactly this and I think you get to a certain point a certain number of injuries a certain degree of psychological expectation I think a move in the summer would have been his uh like release valve it would have allowed him psychologically to to take a deep breath fresh start different set yeah. of expectations chill out a little bit yeah move house he's not had that instead he's still kind of caught in this halfway mold he is he is spurs best attacking midfielder as well as their best striker yeah. blah 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 we do we rehash these arguments a million times some days he's their best defender uh some days he well from set pieces yes he is um and and i think he needs somebody who is going to create a system around him that requires him to do a little bit less mm. and allows him to flourish a little bit more and feel more secure. Somebody that he can look up to who he doesn't mind getting shouted at by occasionally that sure. will kind of reinvigorate him. Sure. But as Seb has said, you know, there's, there's the Levy saga and, and there's obviously a huge interest in the media to like come January, come the summer to ramp that stuff up again. Oh, you know, Kane versus Levy, blah, blah, blah. So yeah. he, even if there isn't, enmity between those two the media is going to make out like there is yeah. so yeah okay who, who knows man okay well that's spurs um hopefully next week we will uh, have a bit more clarity and we'll be able to discuss this in in more depth this episode is brought to you by Michelob ultra the official beer sponsor of the nba want to get closer to the game than ever before Michelob ultra courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive nba prizes and experiences like official gear courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. The break's over. And uh, let's uh, touch on Manchester United, who gave the death knell to Nuno over the weekend. 3-0. There's a strange old game, uh, Seb. Important result, of course, but here's a few things. Hey, in, for, to my mind, 
formation change, you know, the, to to uh, the the the, uh, the three four one two. It can't really be maintained without some significant sacrifices, as we discussed with JJ last week. Uh, the second thing, it's a sort of return to the defense first counterattack uh, football. And, uh, you know, that's fine, but also doesn't all necessarily suit every player involved. And uh, the final thing is, um, you know, the goals, particularly the last two goals of the three in this game, came from very poor defending by Spurs and uh, good attackers playing well. The issue has always been with United that uh, when individual attackers aren't playing well, the team don't win. And it's quite a lot to rely on individuals in those areas, I think. So given that uh, that uh, they lost 5-0 to Liverpool last week and everything we discussed um, on the last podcast, this result doesn't really tell us anything, does it? No, I, I don't think so, because I think they were... If they played against a team who were more stable in the middle of a, a cycle, who were... Um, who weren't full of players that were convinced that their manager was on the brink of leaving anyway, because it was very much that feel to Tottenham on, on Saturday, mm-hmm. um, then you'd probably be able to read more into it. But positives, positives, positives. We spent a lot of time being quite harsh and negative about Man United. So I thought some of their combinations were very good, no better than the um, the first goal. I mean, that's the kind of, that's what you pay for, I suppose, at Manchester United. That's the privilege of having players that can do that kind of thing because there aren't many forwards who can peel off the back of the defender and uh, finish like Cristiano Ronaldo did for the, for the first goal. And then that creates the conditions for some of the other stuff that you're describing, which is, you know, play with a counterattack. Also, um, retain your shape against an opposition who are quite muddled and don't seem to really know what to do with the ball. So there's like two, two parts of having possession. First is obviously to try and create opportunities. But when you're attacking, the second is to make sure that if and when you give the ball up, you're not allowing counterattacking opportunities behind you. Spurs, Spurs had neither of those issues. Uh, neither of those um, flaws cured. Um, they are vulnerable in both areas. And Manchester United did quite a nice job of picking them off. Mm-hmm. You just wonder, though, um, like even despite all of that, had Spurs taken the lead in that game, um, then. There was a couple of a couple of son chances. Uh, there's one in the uh, there's one in the second half. A couple of times mm-hmm. we got sort of through the the um, what was quite a high defensive line at times. You yeah. just wonder what the route back is, and and you're right because I know Manchester United can play like that. I know that they can sit behind the ball a little bit and rely on the primacy of their individual players. I know this doesn't convince me any further that Oliver Solskjaer knows how to properly approach a certain type of match or how to balance his resources when he faces, I don't know, a Liverpool or Manchester City. Well, we'll find out because Manchester City are on the horizon. Coming um, weekend, yeah, we'll be discussing that yeah. next week, of course. So it feels, and it, it's a strange one. I've seen quite a few people on social media say that, well done to Manchester United because their victory was so comprehensive that it's forced Daniel Levy to um, to retreat in the negotiation with Antonio Conte, give him everything that he wants and bring a world-class player and a world-class manager and who under different circumstances, might have gone to Manchester United. Sure. Um, it's kind of funny. It's kind of funny, and it feels oddly typical of this period of Manchester United's history. Um, not quite bad enough to demand a proper change. Um, yes. I don't know if that's fair, but that's how it feels at this point anyway. Well, Alex, the, the thing that I suppose would worry me about uh, this uh, formational change, and we're yet to see whether they will maintain that for Manchester City or not, who knows? If they do, though, we're pretty much assured that Mason Greenwood, Marcus Rashford, Jaden Sancho, Anthony Martial, who wasn't even in the squad for this game, uh, are dead certs not to start the game. It's, um, you know, I suppose it's all in favour of getting Cavani into the team, which, generally speaking, I would be broadly supportive of. But also keeping Fernandez in the team. Yeah, um, it's it's exactly the lineup that JJ predicted uh, yes. at, at the beginning of that video. Yeah. Um, but as Seb says, it it comes at great cost to uh, a certain type of creativity. I guess a, a, an adept um, analogy, not to bring him up for the millionth time here, but when Antonio Conte moved from a back four at Chelsea to a back three. That was done to create specific interactions between players to, yes, to increase defensive solidity, but also he knew how to coach that system so that it worked as a back three and with wing backs and to have certain types of midfield actions going on. 
this felt very much more like Solskjaer going, well, we've been a bit crap in defence, so let's have an extra defender. Mm. And I, I don't mean that as pejoratively as it sounds, because defence first is good, and if you have a platform for individual attacking players, that also makes sense. Argentina won the World Cup in 1986 with a 7 plus 3. Mm-hmm. So it, it's a thing, mm-hmm. but what I would want to see if I were in the Manchester United boardroom or a Manchester United fan is the sense that there is a style of football that is developing that will integrate the exciting young attacking talents that I have, yeah. i.e. Jadon Sancho, Mason Greenwood particularly, mm-hmm. the Pogba conundrum, etc. Um and I don't see that. What I see is a manager going, we shipped five last week, let's have another centre-back. Yes. And that, to me, is not a tactical evolution. No. That's a, perhaps a step in the right direction results-wise. Of uh, course it's a step in the right sure. direction results-wise, but I, don't, I, I think if you're a Manchester United, or indeed any Premier League club with pretensions to... You know, some sort of. Plan. It's not a long-term plan. You need to, and uh, yes, okay. People talk about a philosophy and in inverted commas, and Solskjaer has made his views on that term uh, abundantly clear. But you want to see progression. You want to see style, a sense of style that people are working towards, that is supplemented by transfer activity, that assists a manager towards building a team. Yeah. And this is not what's happening at Manchester United. Well, speaking of style. Leicester nil to Arsenal, Seb. You've written here, I was very, very wrong about Ramsdale. No, I wrote that. Well, Seb was also wrong. I was also very, very wrong about Ramsdale. Sure. It's an interchangeable comment, I would I say. I realised that by putting I on the podcast plan, that was unhelpful. Very helpful. Also, both of you, when I see what you've written on the Google Doc that we share... I generally can't tell it apart because everything you put is so very dull. <laughs> it's hard to know who said what. Uh, but in this case, you were both very wrong about Ramsdale. Now, Seb, if you'd like to apologise first, and then I'll bring it over to Alex to apologise. And please make it personal and lengthy. Yeah, I'd like to apologise to Aaron Ramsdale publicly. I think what I, I think what I underestimated, sorry, Aaron, is that um, it's the personality. Like I, the goalkeeping is is great, and the kind of the the technical standard of his performance is super useful, of course. But I like the personality because for a long time, Arsenal's goalkeeper has just been somebody who stands between the goalposts rather than somebody who actually imparts any kind of identity upon the team itself. And that's By a personality, really do you mean that you enjoyed him going Whoa! with the Leicester fans and then shouting "Your shit"? That was funny, a, a wasn't bit it? Bit of that, but I, I think part of it is also. <laughs> Personality in the sense of the way that he interacts with his defenders, the mm. way that he interacts with um, opposition players. So there was that moment uh, during the game when Johnny Evans clipped him when he went to, to take a high ball and he got right up in Johnny Evans's face. Okay, it's a little bit petulant, but it's also a um, it's a level of kind of controlled aggression and pride and ego that I like a goalkeeper to have. I just think it's quite healthy. Sure. Um, I don't like a goalkeeper to be put upon to be a kind of a, a victim in that situation. Ramsdale, um, Ramsdale feels like a little bit of a contrast to what we've known about the Arsenal defence for quite some time or what we thought of them, which is they're just a, a collection of players that aren't quite good enough, probably won't be there for a long time. Ramsdale, at least at this point, is behaving like someone who, uh, this is where I belong, this is my team, um, and I'm going to behave like it. I'm, I'm not a, um, you know, I'm not a, a placeholder. And that's a really positive step. Well, you're sorry about underestimating his personality. What are you sorry for, Alex? Um, well, firstly, before I apologise, mm. uh, uh, I, I would <laughs> agree caveat. with Seb. And, sure. and I, can't, I can't recall an Arsenal goalkeeper having this kind of personality since Lehman. Sure. Uh, and that's... That Chesney, is real... Chesney have moments, but yeah. they didn't feel positive. They felt like I'm he was a bit sure. quirky and a bit young and a bit immature. And yeah. I think it was quite the same thing. And, and I think, you know, Ramsdale is a young guy. So I think the two things that most interest me, um, and yes, I'm very sorry, Aaron, that Please I was your camera. wrong. camera's just here. I'm sorry that I was wrong. Yeah. Um, is that he... Did, didn't it? Yeah, did his, it? His goalkeeping fundamentals, his shot stopping, his actually his cross-taking hasn't changed that much, but his goal, his saving has got better very quickly. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, and that's not simply a reflection of the fact that he's less under pressure. He is making more saves by percentage. His post-shot XG numbers are higher. Right. Um, 
that's kind of a surprise. And maybe there's a coaching element there. Maybe it's a personality Could thing. Could the quality of the shots be lower because of the increased quality of the defence in front of him? Post-shot XG takes that into account. Oh. And and the comp- and the 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 performance improvement has been pretty drastic. Mm-hmm. It's like, in terms of save percentage, it's up something like 16 17% over the course of two and a bit seasons. Hot diggity dog. That's a lot. Yeah. Um, but the main thing is the distribution. And what I find fascinating about this is that if you look at how he played at Sheffield United and how he played at Bournemouth, Bournemouth stylistically a little more similar, but we never saw this style of kicking yeah. from him. Um, and there is a definite degree to which I think whether it's Arsenal scouts or Arsenal's coaching staff or someone else's coach has just said to them, he can do this. Yeah. Know? Like someone deserves enormous credit yeah. for basically, cause obviously like when we compile videos on sensible transfers or something, we, we can go off the available numbers and yeah. the available video footage. Sure. Somebody has seen in him the ability to ping these little passes around. It feels like a long caveat, doesn't it, Seb? This is not a caveat. <laughs> he said basically what Alex is coming around to say is, to um, "I'm sorry, but actually I'm the information right, wasn't you know, really out yeah, there, yeah. and uh, here's why." <laughs> and who, and he's now turning it around to praise someone else who did know the information. If he'd known, if I had had access to that same degree, no. Look, the thing is that the. The uniformity of this criticism was <laughs> the consistent. uniformity. Other people were involved as well. It wasn't just him. Yeah, <laughs> listen, of, you've run your you've run your mouth too long. Lots of people thought Arsenal's four four two. It was lovely in and out of possession, wasn't it, Alex? It was really nice. And you made some interesting points here. Yes, like I think <laughs> I was just about to drink. Why don't you have a drink? There you go. If Seb's allowed to walk off, right. you're allowed to have a quick drink. That's, That's very fine. sweet of you. Yeah. Um, I think what's really interesting, okay, so they were great out of possession and a four-four-two shape out of possession is pretty common even for teams who aren't sure. trying to attack in a four-four-two. Yes. Um, so there's perhaps not a huge surprise with that, but they controlled space pretty well. I mean, let's not forget, Leicester actually created more and better chances against them than Arsenal did. So mm-hmm. there is there is a caveat here as well. Yes. But what it felt like was that the Arsenal players knew where they were supposed to be at all times. And that does feel like quite a big change from uh, previous matches. Central midfield wasn't vacated. I mean, I thought Lukonga actually probably had his least good Arsenal game that I've seen, but Partey was really good. Smith Rowe uh, and Saka as kind of inverted wingers um, worked really nicely because they could create good, interesting ball progression. So like, Everything about it made a lot of sense. Was it Aubameyang and Lacazette up front, was it? Yes, it was, right. with with Lacazette dropping off quite a bit, but also peeling out to the right-hand side. Aubameyang dropping off slightly less, but also peeling out to the left-hand side. Replacing those inverting wingers, lots of circulation. Lots of circulation. Sounds good. You know, the, And then you had, as well, this kind of slightly asymmetrical shape with Tomiyasu holding his position slightly more on the right, right. than uh, Tavares on the left. Mm. And I think what I most took away from it was I watched an Arsenal performance for the first time in quite a long time and went, A, it's really clear what they're trying to do, and B, they're actually doing it. Yeah. And yes, there are caveats. Yes, Leicester created chances. You know, yes, there are still about problems. Ramsdale. Absolutely. And it and it required a heroic goalkeeping performance from Aaron yeah. Ramsdale, to whom I am deeply and profoundly sorry for them, to escape <laughs> with a draw. But it did work really well. well and tell it you looks what. like something that they can build on. And it also looks like something that doesn't require necessarily mm. a load of new players to continue to improve, which well, I think is really important for us. fuss. I like it. We, we've got producer Adonis in the room. Very rare for us to do. I'm just going to look over and see. Uh, nod for yes. Shake for no. Uh, it, it's good. Is it good? Is it good? He's nodding. Look at that. Yeah. Uh, producer Adonis is an Arsenal fan, by the way. I should, probably should have said that beforehand. Well, there we go. Uh, there was stuff in here about Arsenal's corners, which maybe we can talk about uh, in the future, We're running a little short on time. And instead, I would like uh, to uh, go to another break. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep. You heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. That was a good break, wasn't it? Liverpool 2. To Brighton, Seb. Now, 2016, since the last time Liverpool threw away a two-goal lead at Anfield, apparently. And also, of course, Brighton have now avoided defeat against Liverpool in their last three meetings. No surprises there that uh, Klopp said after the game that he knows how good Brighton are. Here's another stat for you, though, before you answer that one, because I probably won't get this one in later, and I want to get it in now. You have to go back to 1978-79, to that season, to find the last season that Liverpool scored more goals after 10 games than this season. It's 29 so far. I should have used that to launch off the next bit of the conversation, shouldn't I? That will have been why I put it in the plan in that order. You shouldn't have built it up, because the way you presented it made it sound as if it was going to be really groundbreaking, and I thought, eh, it's okay. Mm. Well, they scored more goals in 10 games so far at the beginning of this season than they have done for uh, 40 years. Yeah, that's quite interesting. I mean... That's quite interesting. It's quite interesting. I, I don't feel like it. That doesn't surprise me. Um, Brighton are good. Brighton are good. Hey, let's not fall into the trap of, of just talking about what Liverpool didn't do very well because I feel like Brighton... When, you, when, you're, when you're in Brighton's spot where you're kind of a, a neutral's favourite, everyone loves you, everyone's really interested in what your manager's doing and you're, you know, different team dynamics, you can afford to lose a place like Anfield. You can go there, you can go 2 nil down, you can think to yourself, right, well, let's just keep the score down. Let's keep it to three, and then we'll go home, and then everyone will love us again next week, and everyone will have forgotten about this, because no one expected us to do anything anyway. Mm-hmm. This was gritty. Um, so you go back to 2-2, and you think, well, at that point, you could forgive a lot of players for just retreating behind the ball and taking what they have or trying to hold on to what they had. And Liverpool certainly had more possession. I think maybe um, 58 59%, or something around that, after the, the equaliser went in. Sure. Best Brighton chance. had a, a further disallowed goal, didn't Yeah, it? exactly. The Trossard goal. And that's kind of the point I wanted to make because it really does speak to the effect that Graham Potter's had that there was no inferiority, even at 2-2. There was a kind of, well, we're yeah. still going to play. We're still going to try and work the ball out of out of our defensive zones. And we're still going to commit men to those, those periodic raids. And it was very balanced. It wasn't sort of... It, sometimes you see a team that kind of luck their way into... Um, you know, their way through a comeback at a, at a ground like that. And they, they almost behave as if they can't quite believe that they're there, that sure. they haven't the, sort of the, the football gods of a line, they've got their equaliser and what do we do next? And then they can see the goal or a penalty. Well, or as we like say, Bright- Brighton have been there twice already before yeah. this game. And that feels like this is part of that. And it's just mm. a, it's very interesting to watch, not just the team grow, but the kind of the mentality and personality of some of those players grow. Like Trossard, Trossard's very... Um, when he, when he arrived at Brighton, no one really paid any sort of attention. That was partly because of the fee. It wasn't remarkable. No, no, yeah, I'm going to let him come back in. Yeah, yeah, he's going to come steaming in with... That's Alex. Seb is referring to Alex there. Alex paid some attention to Trossard before he arrived at Brighton, didn't you? A little bit. A little bit. Here and there. The, the thing is, because that information was available, Seb, unlike information that he could have. Right. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. There was, there was, he had all the tools that he needed to form his yes. correct opinion. Yes. But, yeah. But do you see the growth in him? You see someone that's been a technically fun and you have that kind of um, sort of knifing, attacking, carrying of the ball, shooting from sort of angles and distance thing going on. But now you're seeing a difference maker, a little bit of growth. And whenever you see growth in individual players, that's usually a really healthy sign about whatever's going on at a football club. So mm-hmm. it's it's a fun story because they keep doing things that you're not expecting them to, despite those prior results. Alex, they're hot stuff, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, they're really good. Um, I, I think everything that Seb has said is spot on. I think the other thing that's worth noting, and this again goes to uh, Potter, and, and we talked about this in a video that we did and released last week, is that yes, he is a very competent tactician. He makes nice, subtle in-game changes. Um, that's kind of clear, and that's that should be the bare minimum for somebody who is in that 
top or second top tier of management, which he firmly is. Yeah. What he is also able to do is do things with players who are either young and developing or someone like Trossard, where he shifts him from basically being a winger to more of a kind of interior 10. Mm. Um, but he also works with players like Dan Byrne, who is like a <laughs> six foot seven, sure. kind of a fullback, kind of a centre back. He's turned him into a fantastic player. He's yeah. he's rehabilitated Adam Lalana, who is 33 mm-hmm. and is well playing... Back. Well. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, Lalana is is back to playing that kind of high intensity pressing game that he played under Klopp, but still has the ability to control the tempo of matches, find little passes. He is also really good at integrating very promising young players, whether it's someone like Jakob Moda. Um, you know, Mwepu, I think, is... Um, he he scored an incredible goal. I mean, more, more will come from Mwepu because yeah. he's a real talent. But this this is a manager who there is no aspect of the uh, kind of uh, squad balancing, harmony, player development, that kind of stuff that Mm. you can't point to that Brighton squad and look at examples of how well he is doing it, whatever the type of player is. Um, Sanchez in goal, you know, his distribution is, there's a very good piece that uh, Andy Naylor and Mark Carey have worked on in Mm. The Athletic. Like Sanchez is quietly stepping into a position where in five years time, he could be one of the top three goalkeepers in the world. And it's going unnoticed because it's a little Brighton, but he is really that good and he's getting better and better under Potter. I, I, uh, yes, I rarely get enthusiastic about things, but I'm enthusiastic about him. Yeah. He's crushing the final Horcrux, as they say. Where do they say that? I don't know what that means. Man City nil to Kripal. Now, Olise, Zaha, Gallagher, their second goal, I don't know if either of you saw this, their second goal, oh, that was lovely, wasn't it, Seb? Hey, the role Lise plays in it as well, because there were different points when he was when he was making his run, when he's carrying the ball, you thought you were kind of expecting him to get overexcited with the opportunity and play the wrong ball, make the wrong decision. But every part that he played in that goal was absolutely perfect. From the, Yes, he made three excellent choices. Exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. All three decisions correct in a row in a... I know they were one up, but it's a chance to, to put the game to bed. So it is a high-pressure situation. All three decisions correct. It was fantastic. Really, really yeah. good bit of play. Lovely Absolutely. finish too from Conor Gallagher, let's be fair. Now, of course, Manchester City had a, a, a man sent off. It was Laporta sent off, wasn't it, for bringing down Zaha? I think it was Zaha, final player. Anyway, a little bit of controversy around the red card, but alas, that occurred. Um, and Palace really capitalised on this one, Alex. They were fantastic. What exactly is it that Palace are doing under Vieira that makes them so good? And your face suggested to me that I shouldn't have asked you that question. <laughs> I haven't really watched very much no, of Crystal Palace, fair but fair enough. Um, I do know that they're doing some quite interesting things with their pressing against back twos, uh-huh. um, with the way that they're using like Zaha, Ayu, and a striker yeah. to to create good pressing conditions higher up the pitch. Yeah, that suggests to me that Vieira is setting his team out in quite an aggressive way. He's also got a plethora of young talent. I mean, Etze's coming back as well from injury. Uh, Gallagher, I think, was probably one of two bright spots for West Bromwich Albion last season. Sure. He was uh, great in this game. Well, he's a very dynamic, aggressive, ball-carrying midfielder who also really excels as a pressing player, yeah. which is a part of his game that I think wasn't maybe as noted at West Brom, but it was definitely part of it. It was one of the funny, funnier things about, I think it was, was it Alan Shearer on Match of the Day? I think it was. He uh, ended this section by saying that uh, Conor Gallagher was absolutely all over the place, uh, but... But in a good way. <laughs> in a good way, yeah. yeah. Um, and also, like, we did a video earlier this season on on their recruitment. There's mm. There's been some smart acquisitions there. Yeah. And it's a combination of, you know, Vieira, I think, showed uh, when he was coming through... Uh, as a youth coach at Man City and then went to New York. And like, there are, there is a fundamental understanding of how a modern, particularly sort of 4-3-3 system should be played. And he's demonstrated that he gets well. It. Yeah. Um, Do you know what I like about they're it? They're supporting him by getting the right building blocks in place. Mm. It, it Like it's, it's got a good feeling around it, you, I you think. Know what, you know what's interesting about that actually is the, because the, the demographics have changed in the squad, and that's because of the recruitment Alex mentions, you feel now like you've got a group of players who can be taught different things. Mm. When you have veterans, like players who are in their late 20s or even early to mid-30s, 
they play in a certain way and that's kind of part of their appeal you know what you're getting you know you take it off the shelf put it in a team you're going to guarantee me x y and z with a younger player you can kind of it's just a slightly more it's a sort of softer clay i guess that's what you get well, out of play though this is yeah. a this is a point that matt wisdom made in a in a athletic article about how at some point palace needed to do that thing that all teams need to do at some point if they're going to progress which is to step away from the sort of good solid premier league pros in their late 20s who will deliver you know somewhere between 15th and 12th for you every time but it'll never do anything jazzy and managers like Roy Hodgson for example who will also do that and Hodgson deserves huge credit for laying the foundations for a lot of this but off the pitch Palace have clearly made that leap and that ties in with heavy investment in a really really good looking academy system uh, and they obviously feel like this is the moment where everything aligns. So you get a, a younger manager with fresher ideas. You bring in younger players. You you pick up talents like Etze and Elise. I mean, basically, Palace have bought the two most exciting young attacking midfielders in the championship two seasons running. Um, that's that's a statement of intent, and it's great for them. I like the intention. Anyway. Norwich won two leads. This is an interesting one. Now, Seb, you watched this game, of course. I do want to talk about Ozan Kabak. We'll come back uh, to do that with Alex shortly. But um, what I wanted to say about this, generally speaking, is uh, Norwich look, uh, understandably, I suppose, completely devoid of any kind of confidence up front. They were certainly the better team in the first half of this game. I was a little surprised to see them not at least get a draw or potentially even win the game. Um, I had a feeling they were going to score only their third goal of the season so far after 10 games. It's been a dreadful, dreadful start. Um, first off, Daniel Farker. <laughs> it's, an, it's an unusual one, I suppose, isn't it? Because on the one hand, Daniel Farker, all of this promise, extremely, you know, sort of a, a tactically a good coach. Uh, he seems like a very nice person. The players all seem to like him a lot. Uh, he had a huge amount of promise. Um, and on the one hand, still seems like the better option ahead of the other managers that you could imagine might want to take that Norwich job. And on the other hand, uh, I think one of the things that frustrates Norwich fans, as far as I understand, is that uh, because everyone apart from Ipswich fans quite likes Norwich, or at least doesn't have anything against them, they sort of think of them as a nice nice club, lovely fans, lovely family-owned club, whatever. Oh, the manager's nice, isn't he? He's good, blah, blah, blah. Whereas there they are, losing every game, and actually uh, fans are getting quite pissed off now uh, it could a change be coming, do you think? I'd be more convinced if someone could propose a better coach. Because, I mean... Pep Guardiola. Yeah, that might work, possibly. Conte. Yeah. You know, Rinas Mikels, maybe. Sure. If you wanted yeah. to, yeah. Well, I saw Irigo Saki did an interview with Jamie Carragher the other day. Yeah, maybe, maybe they could get, get him, him off the old retirement beach. Ferguson. Yeah. The thing is, is that if you're, if you're Norwich City and you have a plan for how you want to operate, do you rip that up now so that you can incorporate a relegation specialist for the remaining seven months of the season. I don't think that's worth it. Yeah, um, well, I mean, is that the only option, though? Because, I mean, obviously their plan will be dictated and designed by uh, Director of Football Stuart Webber. Could they, could they not find a, a, another manager? I'm sure they have a list who, yeah, but, you know, someone it, it, who could fit into that role. Maybe you should I'm sure check, they have change things up a little bit. But then if you're asking me, do I think it's a good idea? Well, I need to be persuaded by the characteristics of the people on that list. I don't know the many... Thing. Yeah. yeah, this is because Jerry, like, I'm not sure of what's the proposition. Most people are assuming that Norwich are going to go down in 20th place. And as a coach, is that something you want to sell? Do you want to be relegated with somebody else's system and team? I don't think so. Um, and I don't, I, in many ways, I, I find, I found the Leeds loss more damaging for Norwich than what happened at Stamford Bridge, just oh, because 100%. they were in the game and also. They played quite well. I think they probably were the better team. What they lacked they did play was well. the individual quality of a Rafinha. Um, yeah. Goalkeeper let them down. I think I, I've never really rated Tim Krul. I think he has a sort of a, a place in the game which is dictated by him shouting at penalty takers and yes. um, making faces and all that kind of stuff. And because well, in the first uh, half there were there were two or three uh, very good opportunities. Norwich were very much let down by. Um, 
not even misfiring, but like players in the attacking third just Lacked making the wrong decision over and I over think. again. And like you can see that I think that is because, um, yeah, as you say, they have no confidence. They're, they're overthinking things or they're, th- you know, they're overthinking their, uh, they're not following their instincts. Maybe let's put it that way. Puki had a great shot, which was pulled just wide. Uh, could have easily been a second goal. Um, the other thing that was interesting about this game, of course, too, was that Leeds really shithoused their way to a victory. I'm surprised they didn't get a red card. There was an op- I think there were opportunities for Rodrigo, at least, to have been, to have been uh, sent off with a second yellow. Um, they finished the game with sort of four or five yellows, but uh, it took about 30 minutes for the referee to award a yellow card. And the game was, was very stop-start. Um, I assume also, I mean, Leeds have had a, a poor run of fixtures recently. This would be considered in both camps to be a hugely important game because both teams are part of that little cohort at the bottom that, that you know, I suppose we're considering for, for relegation at the moment. So um, maybe shithousing your way to a victory is the way to do it. Hey, you wanted to talk a little bit about Quebec. What was it about him that you wanted to do? Ozan Kabak was uh, Norwich's best playmaker in this game, I thought. Uh, best playmaker also kind of, um, you know, left left the side open for a counter-attack, which uh, resulted in a goal too, and a you know, goalkeeping error, of course. But um, Ozan Kabak, I never really watched him play the, the four or five minutes he got for Liverpool. He's a lot of fun, isn't he? Goodness me. He charges out of that defence with the ball over and over and over again. And uh, I think it was one of the reasons that uh, Leeds didn't really know what to do. I mean, obviously we know that Leeds have their man marking defensive system but uh, Leeds' midfield was frequently either completely overloaded or just clustered with players who were completely out of position yeah he's someone that unsettles me a little bit he's like one of those he's one of the centre-backs you, you've talked about this very mobile very proactive you feel like who you select alongside him is probably more important than picking him himself sure. does that make yes. sense like it's it your, does, yeah. your kind of Cavalier to your Terry um, your, your Vidic to your Ferdinand um, he's so when um, when Liverpool signed him, I was having a conversation with my father-in-law, who um, is a big Galatasaray fan, follower of the Turkish national team, uh, hates him, doesn't think he's good enough, doesn't think he can defend. We, we, we don't mm-hmm. really have a, a common language yet, but we, we talk in kind of fragments of German and English, um, and he just he's not having him at all as a Premier League defender, and he's usually right about this stuff. So um, that's you told, Joe Devine. Well, what was also interesting about this game, because um, the formation I see here has them playing a back three, where they didn't, they played a, they played a back three, uh, but they had, they had um, uh, Andrew Omabamideli, who was there playing in the left back position for the 19 years old. He was the, actually the, the scorer of Norwich's goal. Lovely header. Excellent header. I didn't know that Incredible he had that in this header. game. Um, I didn't know he existed. Well, actually, he's, um, he's, he's got a little bit of a... Um, uh, a little bit of a cult following on Twitter if you look in the right oh. places. Yeah, yeah. But he, um, we were talking earlier about how this might be more damaging than the Chelsea defeat. It felt as if when when that lead second goal went in, all the momentum that might have been generated from the header, which felt like this cathartic moment. When it went in, people were kind of surprised, firstly by the goal scorer, secondly by the fact that Norwich had scored any goal at all. And you yes. thought, okay, this is going to, this might cure all the things that you referred to in the first half, the bad decisions and the lack of confidence. And you think, right, if you knock over Leeds, all of a sudden you belong in the division, you're in touch, you can start winning games. And and then all the air goes out of the balloon. because That's, that's why it felt like such an important ah, game. It's crushing, crushing. It was the one to win. And they did play well, as you say. I feel sorry for them. And I feel sorry for Uncle Damien who I believe was there. And Cousin Martin, we should say, Cousin Martin sent me a picture uh, of himself at Carrow Road wearing a lovely TIFO t-shirt from the TIFO merch shop. It's not, not that far away from Canary Yellow, the TIFO. Yellow. Well, indeed. Um, so if you want to head down to the best place to watch football in London, it's the Old Red Lion, of course. You'll see a lot of uh, unhappy Norwich fans down there at the moment. You could cheer them up with a, with a tune. And indeed, Seb, you'll see a lot of St. Pauli fans there because for some reason there's St. Pauli fans there too. Hey, I don't know why. St. Pauli are doing doing extremely well. They've just drawn, um, we talked about in the live stream on, on Sunday night, they've just drawn Borussia Dortmund in the next round of the Pokal. So that's going to be played mm. in Milan Tour in, um, in mid-January. But St. Pauli, listen, people talk about St. Pauli because of what they stand for and they are, their ideology. They're playing ever so well at the moment. Um, not sure how long it will last, but it's such fun. They're a, a very, very brave team, very, very sort of... Um, Commit a lot of numbers and sort of sure. quick counterattacks. They're um, they're great to watch. Hey, you know we should tell people, Seb, that um, 
yeah, we know that long-term listeners to the podcast will know we'll get towards the end of the podcast, and, and one of the two of you will have written down something that I'm not that interested in to talk about. For example, Alex has written Fiorentina Spezia here, and we're not going to talk about it. What a shame. Waste of time, really. Uh, but one of the things, Seb, uh, that we've, we've done for you is we've allowed you a little corner of your attic to live stream from on a Sunday evening. We're going to try this out for a few weeks, aren't we? And you can talk about all the things there that, that you I'm want. Not allowed to put on, yeah, because no limitations. Yeah, it felt like um, felt for a while like you were kind of Jimmy, Jimmy Kimmeling me in the kind of sure. Matt Damon sense. Um, well, yeah. Um, so what we did is we tried to find a place where I could put all of that useless football that I absorb yes. across a weekend and try and make it into something useful. Well, um, 700 people joined you live last night. That's very nice. Which was nice, wasn't also it? Also a bit scary, but we, we overcame um, uh, some technical difficulties um, with the muting and the weird size of the screen. That was Sure, strange. you were muted for some time at the beginning. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, we, that, yeah, I mean to be honest with you, though, like I didn't feel the quality softened as a result of that. Like, it mm. was, you know, it was a strong start. Like, I made some good facial expressions. Sure. I have to say, to be Use honest, when I well. can't hear you, you quite I like think that. that's better. It's, it's a... <laughs> It is an improvement on not even being physically present, though. <laughs> so yeah. that is true. At least you were there. Hey, it not was chasing fun. a cat around. So we're gonna do uh, we're gonna do that at ten o'clock British time on Sundays, and if people like it, we'll keep doing it. Yeah, yeah. GMT. We're back in GMT now. Sure. Ten o'clock. Ten p.m. on Sundays. I can't change my oven clock. Okay. Well, I'm sure you'll figure that out. And if not, I imagine you're the kind of man that would enjoy getting the manual out and reading all about the oven. Or subscribing to some specific kind of drawer for all of the manuals. Subscribing to an oven magazine. Yeah, some kind of oven periodical. Yeah. If it's out there, Seb, I'll look. Yeah. Often you'll go, if you're uh, a Sunday afternoon, you go to a, a, a large uh, British train station, you'll find Alex in the magazine stop. <laughs> Just flicking through the uh, the wood carving manual and the um, what else have we got that you would enjoy? The uh, that is a, woodworking is a good one. Woodworking, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think this is the end of the podcast, isn't it? I mean, Alex, I'll give you a, a ten seconds to talk about Fiorentina Spezia if you want. Dusan Vlahovic hat trick, really good striker. Premier League team should sign him. Look at that. He gives me seconds back. That's why I like this guy. Seb Safa-Bloor, thank you uh, for your joining of us today. Thank you, Joe Devine. Sorry about thank the you for, Thank you for being here for about 85% of the podcast. The kittens are young and new and they don't understand the podcast. They will. Sure. They will learn to it. Yeah. To, uh, People's personal choices. They, they won't sub their cats. Yeah. Alex Stewart, thank you. Fine. And thanks as usual to uh, producers Don and Adonis, who are both in the office today. Very exciting. Yeah, you can't see them, the viewers. But that's all. Now, don't forget to visit the Tifo merch store, where you'll find things you can buy for money that will make your life better. And indeed, The Athletic at theathletic.com forward slash Tifo. That's all for us for now. We'll be back next week with more of probably the same thing. Could even be better. Might be worse. Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. 
Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. 